Chinese scientists are going down a rabbit hole of information. And what they're doing is they are cloning gene-edited monkeys. And the idea is that they will be able to have much better animals for scientific models going forward. A lot of other scientists are wondering whether or not this is an ethical practice. Leaving the objective portion out of the scenario, there's obviously a lot of nuances that we don't fully understand, uh, such as like, what tests are we going to be running on these animals? And will they be able to return to a normal life or are we going to create them solely for the purpose of science? Um, and beyond that, is it even morally permissible to do anything to them for the purpose of humans? Um, and this is something that I think is very specific to the person. Uh, the idea behind it is that they'll be able to look at very complex human disorders. They've had to use animals that aren't quite as similar to humans to find cures for diseases like Alzheimer's. Uh, and this will also give us access to a lot more genomes than we currently have. And so the Institute of Neuroscience in Shanghai was testing on uh, macaque monkeys. And it is very, very unique in that this is the first time that we have had an opportunity for scientists to clone gene-edited monkeys. And so it is sort of a proof of principle. It's given us an opportunity to see that it's scientifically possible to do something like this. But the scientific community is going back and forth about whether or not this is something that we can practice in good conscience. And so there are people sort of all over the board on this debate. But what we do know is that a lot of money is rushing into this area of research. Whether or not it's necessarily morally right, there are still not quite as many regulations around the industry as you might think. And so what they found is that we're actually able to have offspring using the monkeys that are gene edited. And so creating entirely new environments and groups of animals that without human action would be incapable of existing. And so there's a lot of uncertainty that goes into discovering more about how these work and whether or not they're actually an accurate representation that we can use for human diseases. And so they often need a large number of animals to see if the test that they're doing is actually correct. And that's why it comes in so beneficial that they're able to have the gene edited monkeys have offspring. So whether or not this will become best practice in the scientific community is unseen. The problem is that these tests take an incredibly long amount of time and the process of cloning in the first place is incredibly stringent. It's about a $500,000 cost for the process. So these aren't going to be tests for very simplistic things. They're going to be entirely focused on things that are very pressing. Something they're testing earlier on is how they can prevent sleep disorders having a better understanding of our brain by using these gene-edited monkeys. And so they do have a lot of potential mutations that they can test. They're looking at the circadian rhythm of the monkeys to test for sleep disorders so that they can know more about depression and hypertension and diabetes. So it could potentially uncover a lot of scientific truth for future generations that could help us live better lives. But what you have to think about in this specific situation is, at what cost? What are we willing to do to our animal friends? When in reality, if you think about it, we are the cause for the death of many of their ancestors and relatives. So 
When we hold this in context, it becomes a lot more clear that the effect that humans are having on animals is unlike any animal has ever had on other animals before. We can communicate, we have organizations of species dedicated to doing specific projects, and there are teams of thousands of people. That's something that you don't see in the animal kingdom. And so there's a clear separation between people and animals, but I think the way that we decide to go forward morally with testing on genetically modified animals, regardless of whether they're monkeys or insects, will tell a lot about how the human race is going to treat other organisms going forward, whether it's on a different planet or just on new environments that we haven't quite discovered yet. And so I think we should be a bit cautious about what it is that we decide to do other animals, um, only being that what if we are capable of creating that same exact test scenario in a false environment through a computer? And would that be more morally correct? These are questions I think that we'll have answered in the next few years. If you guys have questions or ideas that you want to incorporate into future episodes, feel free to reach out to us at Natural United on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or LinkedIn. Thank you guys very much for your time, and we'll see you very soon. Today for our extinct animal, I thought I would go with something a bit more well-known. And so, when we think about animals that are extinct on Earth, oftentimes one that comes up is the dodo bird. And so, this was something that disappeared only 300 years ago. And so, there are a lot of humans who experience these existing on Earth, but we, unfortunately, cannot. And they were pretty swiftly taken out. And... There are a lot of lessons that we can learn in terms of how we can treat endangered animals in the future and make sure that they stick around. And there is a lot of fragile ecosystems similar to that of what the dodo bird was living in that are currently at stake right now. So there's a lot to be learned. The dodo birds resided on the island of Mauritius. um, And it's really, really shocking when you learn just how many animals truly have been taken off the face of the earth. Granted, these guys probably had it a bit more coming out for them. They're three feet tall and 50 pounds. And the settlers of the area, the Dutch, uh, they landed in about 1600. So you can do the math on about how long it took for them to kill all of them. So until humans, the dodo bird, they had no predators in the world. The Dutch were the first. And until the modern era, their life was honestly very good. They had no predators. Uh, they just ate all day and they were pretty much unaware about their environment because they did not have many threats in their area. And beyond that, you would expect because they're a bird that they would be able to fly, but they're actually flightless, stuck genetically in between their similar species. And this is also very telling of what might have caused their demise, their inability to escape. And if you look at their ancestors, they're actually very close to pigeons. And so they sort of slowly lost their ability to fly and they became about the size of turkeys. And so they were not like other animals in that they would lay a bunch of small eggs slowly over time, but they would lay one big egg every now and then. Sort of something shocking about them, but when it comes to their meat, It actually tasted nothing like chicken, and that was sort of something that was very unique to them, but also a part of the reason why it was undesirable to have them around and why they weren't made an animal that people kept as industrial pets that they used for agriculture. 
And so the close relative of the pigeon is sort of telling of how they changed over time. And throughout the Indian Ocean, there were pigeons and dodo birds, and for a while they could mate together, but after enough time, they became two separate species. And so given that they had the genetic mutation different from pigeons where they were only laying one big egg at a time, when it came to fighting humans in the 17th century, that became a lot more difficult for them to do. And so there are not an incredible amount of remains from the dodo birds, actually. And it's been seen in pop culture, like in Alice in Wonderland, but there are not an incredible amount of specimens that you can see given just how small of an area they were living in. There are some, but pretty much all of them are in museums across the world, so they're very, very difficult to find in the wild anymore. And what we also have found is that throughout the course of them existing, it's going to probably be impossible for us to ever bring them back. And the scientific community has a relative consensus that Though we have fragments of their DNA, we don't have all of them. So when we have future technology, possibly we'll be able to fill in that gap. Scientists are questioning whether or not we preserved enough of the DNA to be able to replicate them in the future. And so it's a long shot. The, the woolly mammoth stands a better chance, actually, of coming back. But beyond that, it is an animal that a lot of us know about that could still be alive, but as a result of human action, no longer is on the face of the planet. And so I think it is sort of an important lesson about the effect that we are having and how we could change the way that we're living to more appropriately adapt all of the other organisms that live on this planet. As I'm sure all of you have considered, biodiversity is very important for even the health of humans, for us to continue to exist and find solutions for diseases, we're going to always need genetic mutation. And that's going to become a lot more difficult in the age of the Anthropocene that we're entering, where humans control the world. Beyond that, this has been the extinct animal session of the Free Speech Natural United podcast. If you guys have any suggestions of what we should include next, feel free to reach out. So what comes to mind when you think about the fastest animal in the world? For me, it was an easy answer. I thought it would have been the cheetah at a speed of 75 miles an hour. But what I forgot to consider was that the water and the air was also a big factor, that things could fly and that they could swim. So actually, the fastest animal in the animal kingdom is the peregrine falcon. I didn't know this, but it goes up to a speed of 250 miles an hour. A close second is the golden eagle at 200 miles an hour, and then the white-throated needletail swift at 105 miles an hour. Those are the top three fastest animals, and everything below that is at 100 miles per hour or less. So it is clear that the peregrine falcon is a dominant speed in nature. But that's the fastest bird. What's the fastest reptile? The central bearded dragon can go up 25 miles an hour when sprinting, which is double the speed of its Komodo dragon reptile. When we look at fish, what we find is that the fastest fish is the black marlin, traveling a speed of 80 miles per hour with third being the swordfish at 60 miles per hour. When we look at mammals, the only mammal faster than the cheetah is the Mexican free-tailed bat at nearly 100 miles per hour. Another shocking part of the mammal speed is that lions weigh over 500 pounds as males, 400 pounds as females, and can run 50 miles per hour. 
A shocking category for me was looking at the invertebrates. And the reason is that the horsefly is four times faster than all of the other invertebrates, running at 90 miles per hour. I should say flying at 90 miles per hour. And so this captured in slow motion cinematography is incredible when you see just how it's able to get its body to go that fast. And it's provided an extreme, extreme survival advantage in the wilderness for them. So this has been the fun fact for Free Speech, Natural United's podcast. If you guys have questions or ideas that you want to be featured on future episodes or a fun fact that you'd like the rest of the audience to hear, feel free to reach out to us. We are at Natural United on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Have a great day.